guys, we're in lesson 13 today. We're, we're plugging away our way through really chapter 6. Uh, you know, I was talking to somebody this week, and they told me chapter 6 is their favorite chapter of Romans. And, and it, it is. It's a good chapter. A lot of people are not aware of the truths that are in it and the implications of that for our lives. So I just kind of want to, we looked last week at verses 1 through 11, and so I kind of want to back up a little bit before we progress on and just kind of refresh your memory a little bit. Remember, it starts off with a question, because, you know, with justification, you realize there's grace, and grace, where there's sin, there's more grace, and so that that could lead you to think that it's okay for you to just sin, because there's grace. In fact, let's go ahead and sin so we can experience more grace. And and Paul says, no, 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 no. That's, that's, he absolutely not in the strongest terms. No way. Okay, because he wants to remind you now. And here's the truth: that when you became a believer, you weren't just justified. Okay, you died to sin. You died to the power of sin in your life. Because before you became a believer. The power of sin in your life was real. You did whatever you wanted to do. But now that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're dead to that power, but now you're alive to live the life that Christ wants you to live. So, you know, there was a change. You say, well, I still struggle with the same sins that I did before I became a Christian. Yeah, but there was a change. The change was the moment you got saved, that power that holds you was broken. And you now have the ability, through Christ, to say no to it. Okay? And so that's what we talked about last week. This week, we're going to continue in the discussion, and we're going to look again at this whole issue of sanctification and what we need to do. Now, remember, at at verse 11, he told us that you and I need to have a mindset about this. Remember, he said, reckon yourself dead. That's to count yourself dead. That's to develop a mindset where you see yourself as, I'm dead to this power. Most of us don't operate on the peripheral level like that in our lives. We just, oh, I'm just struggling. I got to, you know. No, you're dead to it. Okay? So notice now, we're going to look, first of all, he's going to talk about the response to freedom. Because that, that's really a freeing thing for you to understand you're dead to the power of sin in your life. Okay? Look at verses 12 through 14. Look at what he says there. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not have dominion over you, but you are under, you are not under the law, but under grace. Alright, so what is he talking about here? So let's look here. First thing, the truth of our standing should result in action on the believer's part. So, okay, I just gave you the truth earlier. Your standing is based upon who, folks? Jesus, not based upon what you've done. Now, understanding that, you realize I'm now, because of, I, when I got saved, I was buried with him. I died to, to the power of sin in my life. I died. And I was raised to walk in newness of life. Now, that 
should result in action on your part. Do you understand what I'm saying? You need to take that truth and do something about it. Okay? You need to go beyond just simply acknowledging and continuing on the way you're always continuing on. You need to do something about it. What do we need to do? Believers are not to allow sin to have power over their mortal bodies. All right, let me just stop for a moment. The NIV, you know, the NIV is a good translation, the 1984 edition. But when it comes to this Romans passage, they'll, they'll translate the word flesh, which is the actual word here, to mean sin nature. You're not to allow the sin nature to have control. That's not in the text, okay? That's, that is a theological assumption or that, that's the theology of the translator coming out there, alright? The reality is, is you live in a body of flesh. Who you are spiritually, and we're going to see this when we get into chapter 7. Who you are spiritually is new. Does everybody understand that? Because you died, right? The old you was crucified. It died. Now, we've got some hunters here, okay? And you've gone deer hunting, and you've gotten a good shot, and you killed your deer. Now, when you're skinning it, does it, does it, is it still alive? Later on, when you got it hanging there, does it come back alive and start kicking and, and want to do its thing again? No, it's dead, right? I mean, it's dead. You understand what being dead means, right? It's dead. Alright? The only one who's come back to life is Jesus or people he's raised back from the dead. Here's the reality. You, the old you, died. It's not coming back to haunt you. So when we talk about the sin nature, I think we're kind of grasping at something here. We're trying to describe something that actually I think we just need to go with what the text is. And the text is talking about is that the the only thing that is similar to who you were before you got saved and after you got saved is the same old body. And with the same old body, you've trained your body and you've made it aware of sins. Do you understand what I'm saying? So let, let's stop for a moment. Does everybody agree here? Let me give you a premise to help you to understand. Everybody here struggles with sin, right? Would everybody agree to the premise here that our struggles with sin, while it's saying we're struggling with sin, it's different in the sense of what I struggle with is different from what you struggle with. Would you say that's true? There might be some similarities here, but the reality is is what I struggle with, what my body struggles with, is different from what? What you might struggle with. A, a, a very evident point of that would be somebody who's addicted to drugs. Right? What is it about the, have you ever, if we, we used to have a celebrate recovery here, and we, we used to deal, and some of you are in that business of, of helping people through recovery. You, it's not just a mental thing, but their bodies what? Crave it, right? Their bodies crave it. See, their bodies have been trained to do that, to, to, to lust, to desire, to, to all kinds of things. Your bodies. That's why he uses the word flesh here. So what, what Paul's saying here, believers are not to allow sin to have power over your what? Your bodies. 
We're going to talk about that this morning when we get to the morning message. We're going to talk about heart issues. This morning is about the issue of lust. And you can feed the desires, the evil desires in your life. Do you realize that? Does everybody understand that? You can feed your mind and your body to crave certain things. Do you know what I'm saying? You can feed it to do that. So, let's go on. Such power causes believers to obey the body's lusts. All right, let me just stop for a moment. How many of you have tried to quit drinking coffee? Doctor told you to stop because that caffeine wasn't good for you. And you tried the decaf stuff and you're like, huh, might as well not drink anything. Okay? All right? How many of you tried? How hard was that? How hard was it? You got headaches? You know what I'm saying? Your body is telling you what? Yeah, you need it. You need it. I mean, I remember, you know, when I got saved, I was 19, I smoked. Did you understand? For two years, my body was telling me, after I quit smoking, to get a cigarette. Like, I'd go out with friends, we'd have a big pizza and, and a bunch of iced tea, and, and, and there's that satisfying feeling at the end, and it's like, this is a good time for a cigarette. You know, and for two years, that was a mental war going on. What was the mental war? It was more my body saying, wow, this would be a good time for a cigarette. Did you understand what I'm saying? You have to be careful to not allow sin to have control. Because it will create in you the desires. Do you understand what I'm saying? Such power causes believers to obey what? Their evil desires. Hey, listen, why do you think we tell people who are recovering, change your friends? Do you know what I'm saying? Is it because their friends are evil? No, it's because of what their friends are doing. Do you understand what I'm saying? And what their friends are doing, if they don't separate themselves from that, it just places too many temptations when they're trying to recover to overcome it. So, such power causes believers to obey the body's lusts. Now here, Here's the thing. Believers are not to offer their members of their bodies as instruments of sin. All right, George, what does this mean, members of the body? Well, okay. Your hand is a member. Your arm, your eyes, your lips, your mouth, your legs, your feet. That's what he's talking about when he says members, okay? He's talking about body parts. So a way you could say it is here, don't offer your body parts to sin. What is he saying? You need to make a conscious effort to stop doing something. In fact, when we go to the passage in Matthew, Jesus is a little bit more radical. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand, cut it off. Whoa, that's pretty radical. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, he's, he's getting pretty radical there. It's all the same thing. Don't allow your members of your bodies to be instruments of sin. Here's the thing. Instead, believers are to offer themselves to God as being spiritually alive. Now notice he's replacing, don't do the bad thing, but rather give yourself to serve God. As being spiritually alive. Now again, when I say serve God, I'm not talking about ministry. 
but talking about that who you're living for, your life, is for who? For God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this is what he's talking about. Again, let's stop back up here a moment. What's he really talking about here? What's he really talking about here? What you're devoting your time to. Okay, that's good. What, I heard somebody back here. Okay, that's good, Gene. Okay. All these are good answers. But there's something even more to the core of it here. I'll help you. It's a decision. He's talking about you and I understanding truth, who you are and what God has done in your life. God is the one, when you got saved, He, you were crucified with him. You died. The old man died. You were raised to walk in newness of life with Jesus. Okay, He made you new. The power of sin has been broken in your life. So these are all the foundational truths. Now he's saying take those foundational truths and now you need to make a decision. What decision, George? The decision that you are not going to let your bodies have control. Now that's a struggle. But that's the decision you got to do. Say that's impossible, George. All right, go ahead. I like to look at it this way. All right. About the Okay. All right, that's interesting. Okay, that that's a good way of putting it. Okay, she's using a symbolic thing. Okay, it's helping her to categorize it. Okay, good. All right, that's good. All right, here. What, but we're coming down to the same conclusion here. It's your mental choice. You've got to have a mindset. It's still a decision. Yes, you have to make that choice. Okay, you have to make that choice. Yeah. That's exactly right. And in the moment, when this is happening, in this very moment, I have to decide right here and now, not, not anything bigger. Okay, do you hear what Jim's saying? It's not a global, one massive, at the altar, used to be the altars where you make decisions, okay, at the altar decision, but Jim is saying it's the moment by moment, because that's where we get tripped up, right? That's where we get tripped up is the moment by moment decision. Yeah, okay, did you hear what Tina said? You make that decision never ever to do it again, and then you do it, and it's like, oh, what's the point, you know? Okay, now listen, some of you are, some of you should be sharp enough here to say, okay, I hear what you're saying, George, but there's a struggle. I'm, yeah, mentally, I'm like, there, I'm making that decision, but I'm doing the stuff I don't want to do. That's chapter seven, folks. Remember, we're going along with Paul's progression here. So, Instead, believers are to offer themselves. So we're talking about a decision, mental. Let's go on. Believers should also offer the members of their bodies as instruments of righteousness. You need to make a decision. I'm not going to engage in this activity. Rather, I'm going to, I'm going to engage in that which pleases God. 
which lives for him. Do you understand what I'm saying? And like Jim says, that ha- that's a moment-by-moment decision. That has to be. You know, that has to be. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's a good point. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. 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 I think you made an excellent point there. And, and I think that's because, you know, I, when I'm speaking, I'm trying to speak in terms of what the text is saying and generalizing, okay? Now, listen to me. Nowhere does this text say that you're going to not struggle. In fact, the very next chapter, Paul says, the good that I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I do. Now, some of you say, well, I, I, I believe this other thing about him. That's before he goes. We'll talk about that next time. But the text does not say that it is a one-time perfection thing. You're not striving for perfection here. Why? Because the apostles know very clearly that you're going to sin. But what what is the text saying then, George? When you look at these words, yield, don't yield your bodies, reckon. The Greek is a precise language. And the precision of the language is it's an ongoing process. I'm going to make an effort not in the future to not yield as an ongoing process. Do you understand? Does that mean you can fail and there's a room that they fail? Now, now, we're not making excuses for sin, okay? You, it's not, oh, well, uh, I'm okay. No, you need to be broken over your sin. But it's an ongoing thing of you not yielding your members to sin, but yielding it to righteousness. It's an ongoing process of reckoning. How many of you have, it's like you made a decision one time and you're, and you changed your mind completely and from now on you're going there and you never, never struggle again? Nobody. I mean, you've trained your mind and your body for years. Do you know what I'm saying? You've trained your mind and your body for years. That's why people say stuff like this. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Because we recognize that once you've, you've been trained a certain way, it's difficult. Yes, it's difficult. But the problem, not the problem, the best thing about this is, is that as a believer, you have somebody to help you. Who's that? The Holy Spirit. Like Tina was saying, I'm not going to do it. And then you're like, what's the use? It's not a thing of make a one-time momentous, come to the altar, get right with God. And, and, and I've seen people come to the altar many times giving up cigarettes. It's going to take more than just coming to the altar to give up cigarettes. It's going to quit going to the convenience store and buying the pack. Do, do you know what I'm saying? It's got to start there. You know? So, I mean, it, it's different things. It, it's an ongoing process. All right? So believers should offer their bodies as instruments of righteousness. Now, here's the positional truth. He's going to give us a positional truth in verse 14. This reality is based on two positional truths. This reality that I'm, that I'm, that I'm not to yield this to my, 
to the, to the power of sin in my life, but I'm a yielded to righteousness, I'm, I'm to make this de- decision, that's based on two positional truths. What are they? Number one, sin no longer has power over the believer. You've got to understand that. But George, the struggle is real, and, and I want to stop this, and I'm continuing. You've got to understand that if you are a child of God, you need to grasp the reality. Sin does not have power over you. Believe it. It's got to start here. And yes, I know that the battle is intense. But you've got to come to the place where you understand sin doesn't have power over you. Period. Let's go on. The phrase under the law means the believer is to serve the law. So what he says there, look at verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law. What's he saying? Sin's not going to have power over you, and you're not to serve the law. Does everybody understand that? I I see people all the time talking about eating the way Jesus did in the Old Testament. Fine, you can do that. Wonderful. I mean, okay, hey, it's healthy. But as a Christian, you don't have to. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't have to. All right? Because you don't have to serve the law. We're going to talk more about the law later, especially when we get to chapter 7. But here's the thing. The law is not the master over the believer. Rather, grace is dominant as we serve God. The law is not your master. Who's your master? Jesus, God. And because he's your master, what's dominant in your life? Grace. Grasp that. You know what? Here's the thing. I think if you grasp these truths, there's an awesome freedom there. What do you mean, George? Well, think about this. If you grasp this truth, how many times are you beating yourself up because you did what you're doing? How many times? And you're like, I'm not a good Christian. And, and the enemy comes along and he tells you that. You're not a good Christian. How can you say you love Jesus? How can you say you, if, if people knew, if people understood this, or people saw this, and, and this, that, or another, and, and, you can, and you can defeat yourself to the point where it's like, what's the use? I just might as well give in. I just might as well give in. There's no way for me to overcome this. You know what? You're thinking like an old man. What do you mean the old man? An unbeliever. You've got to change your thought process. This does not have power over me. And I'm a new person in Jesus. And yes, I need to not yield to it. And yes, I need to reckon myself dead to it. And yes, I need to present my instruments, my body as a servant to God to live the life that He wants me to do. And I can do that not because the law is master over me, but I can do that because God's my master and grace, grace, that which I don't deserve is dominant. Isn't that awesome? Grace is dominant. Now, I just, here, man, how wrong have we been as a church or churches? What do you mean, George? How wrong have we been when we've seen somebody go and they mess up? And then they come to their senses and they come back 
But the one thing the church doesn't extend to them is what? Grace. Shouldn't we extend grace? Because that should be what's what? Dominant. In fact, what we extend to them is what? The law. Do you know what I'm saying? The law. But Paul tells us right here, you're not under the law. You're not to serve the law. You are dominated by what, folks? Grace. And then they're like, why Why even bother? And so you know what? We have a community full of de-churched people. Do you know what I'm saying? That's a significant portion of people who are just given up. They're just given up. Because we've made it actually hard for them. And I think it's because we don't understand it ourselves. You know, we don't understand it ourselves. Now look, the law, but grace is dominant. Now look at verse 15 through 23. We're going to talk about slavery now. Paul's going to use the illustration of slavery. What then? So here's another question. Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave, as you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart a form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you present your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, let's talk about slavery. So again, once again, he's anticipating a question from his Jewish listeners. Paul anticipates the question that we can sin because we're under grace instead of law. Okay, I'm not under the law anymore. I can do whatever I want. Because I got what? Grace. He's anticipating somebody's thinking that. That there's that question. So he uses strong language again to express that he rejects that idea. I mean, he very strongly doesn't come out in your Bible text, but he very strongly is like, no way! Certainly not! It's coming out very strongly that that's not a possibility. You can't just because you're saved now go and do whatever you want to do because you're free. Alright? And believe me, there are folks who think that way. There are folks who think that way. So here's what he points out. Paul points out that we become slaves to what we offer the obedience of our bodies. Okay, so every one of you here is a slave. Do you realize that? You are a slave to something. You are a slave to whatever you offer your bodies to. Now what in the world does that mean, George, offer my bodies to? You are a slave to whatever you allow your body to take control of. 
For some of you, it could be food. For some of you, it could be alcohol. Some of you, it could be drugs. Some of you, it could be sex. Some of you, it could be a hobby. It, it, it's whatever becomes your master. Some of you, it's work. Did you understand what I'm saying? Whatever you offer your bodies to, that is what you become a slave to. That's the principle Paul's laying down here. We become slaves to what we offer the obedience of our bodies. All right? Let's go on here. He says, Paul thanks God that when we were slaves to sin, we responded with our hearts to the gospel. Aren't you glad that even though you were slaves to sin, the moment you got saved, you were able to respond to his gospel and get saved and break that bondage? Aren't you glad? I mean, that's a work of God in your life. That's what he's thanking God here for. So responding to the gospel resulted in freedom from sin and becoming slaves of righteousness. So all all that's different now is, is you're no longer a slave or a servant of sin, but now you're a slave or a servant of what? Righteousness. Because you're going to obey somebody, right? You're going to obey somebody. So Paul is using human terms concerning... Slavery here, he's saying, to illustrate his point. Because we can, he's, he's trying to come down to our level for us to understand what the spiritual dynamic is going on here. He's using human terms. Alright? Using human terms. So, they are to offer their bodies as slave for holiness as they once offered them as slaves to sin. See, you once offered your body to something. He's saying now, because of who you are now in Jesus, you now offer it to who? To God, to live for Him. And, and stop for a moment, okay? Don't think of it in terms of, well, I've got to start carrying around a big Bible. And I've got to start preaching everywhere I go. And, and I've got to leave tracks. No, forget all that. Get that out of your mind. It's talking simply about how you're living your life day to day, moment by moment, who you're living it for. Did you know what I mean? Because have you noticed you can be alone in sin? You can yield your body to sin when you're alone? Have you noticed that? He's saying that rather than when you're, when you're alone, not yielding it to sin, but yielding it when? To unrighteousness. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we're talking about living for him. That means every moment for him. All right? Let's go on here. When we were slaves to sin, we were free from the obligations of righteousness. When you were a slave to sin, you didn't care less about the obligations of righteousness. You didn't care less about what God wanted to do. That's the point he's making here. All right? You didn't care less about that. In fact, he asked his readers a good question. He asked his readers concerning the benefit they received from sinning. Have you thought about that for a moment? You're yielding your bodies to sin in some area. Have you ever taken a a step back and said, what benefit did I really receive from this? 
I can almost tell you, you've received no benefit. Only momentary whatever, and it's only momentary and it doesn't last. But what the result of it is, is always what? Pain, death, misery. Did you understand what I'm saying? More emptiness. So he's saying here, when you yielded your bodies to sin, what was the benefit of that? Nothing. There is no benefit there. No benefit from sin whatsoever. So he reminds his readers that the result of sin is death. And let me just stop for a moment. You can say that means spiritual death, yes. But I, I, would, I would say to you it means more than that. It could mean death in a physical sense. It could also mean death in a relational sense. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, you, you could kill your relationships, right? With your sin. Do you know what I'm saying? You could kill. I mean, it, it, the result is death. It's not just talking about here spiritual death and going to hell. It's talking about the devastation of sin in your life, period, and the people around you. Did you understand? A good example of that would be, look at King David's life. When he sinned with Bathsheba, let me tell you, the result was death. And I'm not just talking about Uriah being killed. Because when you come, you, if you read through Samuel, First and Second Samuel, you get to you get to the point. First Samuel, like, woo, David, woo, all right. Then you get to Second Samuel, and you come to that point of the, of the sin with Bathsheba. Have you noticed the misery of David's life afterward? After that moment, that's death, folks. And I think we understand that. Paul reminds his readers that the result of sin is death. Having been freed from sin to serve God, believers have spiritual fruit of holiness and eternal life. See, you've been freed from sin to serve God to produce in your life what? Fruit. Now, I know some of you have been taught that fruit means how many people get saved. That is not what spiritual fruit is. Spiritual fruit, the definition of it, we find the fruit of the Spirit is in Galatians chapter 5. And it's, it's what God produces in your life. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. What's going on there? That's what He's producing in your life. If you're going to seek after Him, He's producing that in your life. Now let's just go through this for a moment. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Now does anybody know what long-suffering is? Patience. Does that come automatically? Is it a process? So what we're seeing here is fruit comes over what? Time. That the Holy Spirit produces in your life. So don't be like, oh man, I'm not a loving person. I don't have the joy. I'm not, no, no, back off. Quit beating up on yourself. Alright? You just keep yielding your members to righteousness. He leads you in holiness, and He produces what? The fruit. Did you understand what I'm saying? He produces the fruit. So, the payment for our sin is what? Death. The payment for our sin, for the wages of sin, is death. Folks, get that in your mind. 
the end result of you and I going into sin is always going to be what? Death. Well, I'm, I'm saved from hell, George. Yeah, but I'm telling you, death means more than just simply going to hell. Death is takes over in a lot of other ways. It's destruction. It's 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 destroying things. So here's the thing. God's gift to us is eternal life that is found in who? Jesus Christ. So let's get back. What's the issue here, George? The issue is, is I've got to change the way that I'm thinking. How do I do that? Number one, you recognize what no longer has power over you. The power of sin has no longer power over you. Number two, I am to, in an ongoing way, not yield myself to what? To that sin. Not yield myself to that sin. Now, when we come back to chapter 7, we're going to see, but yeah, George, I keep doing it. I keep sinning. What do I do about that? He's going to, Paul's going to share from his own experience what conclusion he comes to. I'll go ahead and tell you it. Look with me, chapter 7, verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ. What's he saying there? Through Jesus Christ, he's thanking God for the deliverance through Jesus Christ. The deliverance from what? Sin. And he says, so then, with my mind, with my mind, I serve the law of God. But with my flesh, my body, the law of sin. Do you see the point there? We're going to discuss that further. Something for you to think about. If you want to, read ahead to understand what he's talking about.